It's really great to have Ray with us this weekend. And yesterday, as we were talking to Ray, we realized Ray's been coming to us for about 24 years. Yes. I was a young man. That's not what I was going to say, but never mind. <laughs> yes, for 24 years. How many people have been in Emmanuel for at least 24 years? How many people? And you still come this morning. They didn't know, obviously. So when I was talking to Ray uh, yesterday morning, he mentioned what he was going to preach on this morning. And my first thought was, that sounds long. <laughs> then, <laughs> then he mentioned what he was going to be working on to bring somewhere else. And I thought, that is spot on to where we are as a church and sounds So, Ray then said, right, and then he set to work uh, yesterday afternoon and was up at the, I was going to say before dawn, actually, not the crack of dawn, before dawn. Because I do believe what Ray's going to bring is right where we are as a community. So, can we just pray right now? Father, we want to thank you for the friendship we have had with Ray down these last 24 years. We thank you that he comes among us as a member of the family, and we do rejoice in that relationship you have given. And we pray right now, Lord, that as he shares, he just knows he's among friends, he's among family. And Lord, we pray that what he shares will just find a resting place in our heart and bear much fruit for the kingdom in these coming days. Amen. You did. You did. Yeah, I, I should keep my trap shut, really. But I just shared what I'm preaching next week at Biggin Hill, which I've not prepared, but which I hadn't. <laughs> and he said, uh, they've asked me to preach uh, on revival, prayer and revival, uh, and really getting into some of the history of revival. And, uh, and although I've lived with that over the years, um, so Alan said, I really would like you to preach on that. I didn't know you were having a week of prayer and fasting. Um, but, um, so, um, I got in touch with Sue. I said, send some notes, will you please, and other stuff. So, I've had a busy, busy weekend. Um, but I think, it, I think, we're, I think we're, it's right, because what I'm picking up, and uh, I was with John and Chris yesterday, and we were visiting, it's, it's near um, Linda's, Linda's farm, but I, what's it called? Shill bottle, you know the folk from there? I was thrilled. I was thrilled. I just thought, wow, what wonderful people. What a wonderful work. And one of the things I'm discovering as I'm travelling, and you know my background, I'm not a city person, I am a country person. I was born in the mountains of Abergavenny. Probably not literally, but almost. May have been conceived in the mountains of Abergavenny, but uh, certainly wasn't born there. Um, but um, for me, I just love what God does in, in, the way, in the way out places, in the communities, in the rural areas. And in my travels in the last few years, one of the things I've been finding is fellowships which aren't large, perhaps 50, 60 people, but are they punching above their weight? They're influencing communities, more so than much bigger churches in cities. 
And, and, and also there's a sense at this time, and I know it's amongst you, that God, God is whispering some things and getting his people prepared for another move, another move of God. So what I want to do this morning is with the help of the Holy Spirit to stir you, envision you, and, 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 and then to find from you the correct biblical response to God's, to God's word. And now, uh, have, we got, have we got this? I, I, I want you to, I want you to, I was, I was singing a song, I've been singing a song recently by Frank Sinatra, Old Blue Eyes. And it was a favourite in the 1950s. So we're just going to, we'll just have a little light entertainment if we would please. Some of you can sing along. Marriage, and marriage goes together like... See, all these youngsters don't know it, do you? I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage, love and marriage. The love... That'll be fine. That will be fine. That'll be fine. He's going to do a dance. Now, now, <laughs> that was the 1950s. Love and marriage goes together with marriage. You can't have one without the other. That, that's not the values we live to today. But it was in the 1950s, 60s. Some of us grew up with parents who perhaps weren't Christians, but they were godly. They had godly values. And, and there was never a sense that if you fell in love, the way you worked it out was a covenant of marriage. And, 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 and most of our parents, they kept that covenant of marriage through difficult times. So there are some things that, that go together. And what I'm talking on this morning is a biblical principle of two things that go together. And we, we can't achieve what God wants us to achieve and what he wants to achieve amongst us with only, um, with only one of those, those, those facets. So let me just read to you somebody called um, Charles Finney, one of the great American revivalists. If you, if you don't know anything about these characters, if you go on to Google, you've just got to press a little button, and you'll get a load of stuff about, about these people that will come up. Um, and, and, and it's good, good to read. Some of them are very strange. Revivalists are not... And they're, they're, some of them are strange people, but that doesn't matter. They're, they're God's strange people. Um, but this is what he said, and we're talking now a uh, hundred years before Frank Sinatra actually recorded that song. We're talking about the 1850s. This is what Finney says on prayer. He says, prayer is an essential link in the chain of causes that lead to a revival as much as truth is. Some have zealously used truth to convert men and laid very little stress on prayer. They have preached and talked and distributed tracts with great zeal and then wondered that they had so little success. 
And the reason was that they forgot to use the other branch of the means, effectual prayer. They overlooked the fact that truth by itself will never produce the effect without the Spirit of God and that the Spirit is given in answer to earnest prayer. Sometimes it happens that those who are the most engaged in employing truth are not the most engaged in prayer. This is always unhappy, for unless they or someone else have the spirit of prayer, the truth by itself will do nothing but harden men in impenitence. Probably in the day of judgment it will be found that nothing is ever done by the truth used ever so zealously unless there is a spirit of prayer somewhere in connection with the presentation of the truth. Now that's a man who said, after his conversion later, he said, never did I meet a man that I spoke to that was not converted to Christ. (laughs) That's an amazing statement. And you can read Finney for yourself. Um, Matthew Henry, and some of you have got his commentary, probably gathering dust, (laughs) is a great tome. He said this, When God intends great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them praying. So, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. If we want revival, then we need the word and prayer. We need the spirit and the spirit of prayer together. So, these things are inseparable. Let me just tell you one or two things about Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a lawyer. Um, he was six foot something. He was an all-American boy in the, in the 1820s. He could outshoot, outrun, outjump, outfight most people. Yeah, so he wasn't, a, he wasn't a, a wimpish sort of guy. He was an all-American guy and he wanted to be a real man. And he was a real man. But there came a time when he was 29 years of age that he, something was going on in his soul and he decided... I'm going to find out once and for all wherever there is, there is hope for my soul. And so he sought out a minister. And he sought him out and he asked him this question. I, I need to know, you know, is there such thing as salvation? How do I find salvation? Unfortunately, he went to a guy who would be, I, I guess we would call a hyper-Calvinist. Uh, Nothing much to do with John Calvin, I have to say. That's to protect one of my, one of my heroes of the faith. But it was, it was, it was a strain of, of, of Calvin's teaching, which had been somewhat distorted later after his death. But it went something like this. Look, if you're going to be saved, God will save you anyway. You're one of the elect, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no, there's no free will or choice within this. So don't worry about it. And if you're not one of the saved, well, there's nothing you can do. Worry about it. And Charles Finney said, no. No, I'm not having that. And he went out and he bought a Bible, a New Testament, and began to read it. And between clients, he was reading the Scriptures, and the Spirit of God kept coming upon him. And uh, again, it's worth reading the encounters that he was having with God. It was uncanny, really, because there'd been this amazing spirit of God coming upon him and dealing with him and his sin, and and he knew it was God. And then a client would come, and he'd sort of switch off and 
deal with a client and then he would go back to reading the scriptures and the spirit of God would come upon him. And that was his encounter with God. So as far as he was concerned, he, he, he was one of those, he was theologically one of those who said, if you want, if you want salvation, you've got to find God, it's down to you. There will be others also will be heroes of the faith, like uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who would say, well, the, the revival really is a sovereign work of God. And, and you can't make revival happen. Um, whereas Finney would say, you can, if you can, if you can, if you comply with certain requirements. Hey, those aren't the arguments that we're interested in, because what you find with, in both camps, they were zealous. They were passionate. They wanted God. They were hungry for God. It wasn't a theological argument. We can argue the theology of revival, but it won't bring revival. That's the problem. And I'm, you know, I'm a man for theology and truth and church history. I love that. But, but what we want more than anything else is visitations. Visitations of God. And some of us here, uh, we, we've lived through some visitations and we need to remember that the whole restoration movement, there was visitations of God. There were times when we wouldn't leave a meeting because God's presence was heavy upon us. The Dale's Bible Weeks, the Downs Bible all those Bible Weeks. And then there, then there was the 1994 outpouring of Toronto and, and um, time wasn't an issue. I know time is an issue, but it wasn't in those days. You didn't worry about, you know, whether you were going to get home for lunch or what time you left, because you didn't want to leave the presence of God. Now that's what we're talking about. We're talking about we're talking about a weight of God's presence, um, a heaviness. And so some of us have lived through those things. So it's, so definitions of revival. I could give you loads of them. Um, but I, 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 just, I just want to just read just a little passage of Scripture from Acts um, chapter 3 where, where Peter has just preached. There's been an out, it's been the Pentecostal outpouring, the first Pentecostal outpouring. And people are asking questions. What is this? And then later they're asking this question, what must I do? Because they were coming under conviction of sin. And this was, this was God's old covenant people at this time. And, and Peter said this, Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And then this little phrase, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. That little phrase, times of refreshing. So when we look at revivals, they're not all the same. In fact, they're all very different. And that's one of the problems with revival is that we read a revival and we think, wow, we want that. But hey, in that sense, revival is a sovereign act of God. It's, he does what he wants to do. And, and so, what I'm going to do um, now is to just share with you, really, um, two, two revivals and, and, and illustrate from that the place of, of prayer. Um, one of the men who was 
influenced by um, Finney um, and lived around a similar time to him was a guy called Jeremiah Lanthier. And uh, he lived in New York. He was a, he was a businessman. And at that time, uh, it, was, it was not a good time um, in, in, in terms of the state of the nation, particularly in terms of uh, business. So the stock exchange was collapsing. Thousands of businesses had gone into bankruptcy. There was unemployment and really despair had set in. I thought, it's not, un- it's not unlike what's happening in our own nation and particularly within Europe at this present time. There is, you know, we, we, we've got all sorts of things coming up in the next week or so, haven't we? Um, and the issue is not Brexit, no Brexit. Or, that, those really aren't the issues. They're there. But the issue is that we're, 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 a, we're a nation in a state. We don't know where we're going. And, 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 and to be honest, neither does the rest of Europe. Um, so it's not, un, it's not unusual. It, and and we, we know this sin abounding. We know that. But it's not just that. People, people are without hope at the present time. And even people... Even people who are successful and have money and even, even there there's an emptiness and there's a void. People know there's something more. And so when, 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 when God begins to stir and there's a time of refreshing coming, remember, revival is primarily is for the church. Because you have to have, you have, to have had life to be revived. <laughs> and... and, 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 and the, so it's, it's us, the church, that revival comes to first. It's the overflow of that which then touches those who are outside of Christ. Because it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed, even to principalities and powers. So God deals with us. He has to deal with us first. Whereas we're, we're often praying for the lost, but we forget that it's us first that God needs to deal with. And Jeremiah Lamphia. He, he basically thought, I need to do something about it. He, he got himself appointed as a sort of, a sort of missioner. It wasn't, he wasn't ordained at that time or anything like that. He was just a burdened guy. He, he got himself attached to a mission. And he decided to call people to prayer. And what he basically did was this, he, he got some handbills printed and he invited business people to come and pray at 12 o'clock for an hour in their lunchtime. And um, it started on the 23rd of September 1857 in New York, a place called Fulton Street. And the first meeting, I think it was after about 20 odd minutes, some people began to turn up. The first meeting, six people turned up. Um, that wasn't over-encouraging, but he wasn't discouraged. And then, at the second meeting, 20 turned up. And at the third meeting, 40 turned up. And then, he was encouraged by that, so on the 1st of October, 1857, he said, right, from now on we're going to have daily prayer meetings. And then news filtered through from a place called Hamilton in Canada, that revival had broken out there and God was doing some strange things. And there's nothing like revival to st- somewhere else to stir the hearts of people who, are, who themselves are longing for a visitation, a visitation of God. 
Within six months, 10,000 business people were attending an hourly prayer meeting on a daily basis. Within two years, a million came to Jesus in America and another million backsliders returned to the church. There were women in meetings that came to those meetings who were crying out to God for their unsaved husbands. And then across the auditorium, an unsaved husband who just got saved was like, I'm here, dear. God's got me. He's answered your prayers. Strange things were happening. Phenomenal things. But that's the work of the Spirit. And this... This second great awakening, as it's known in America, spread to other nations as well, including our own nation. There was revivals 1859 in our own nation in Ireland, and of course, then later it led to the Welsh revival and what have you. But, but it's these visitations of God that people were praying. The interesting thing, people like me and others who were preachers would have been out of a job because there was hardly a sermon preached. It was known as the, as the prayer meeting revival. And it hit the secular newspapers. And actually, when you look back in the past and you, you look at the, the, the great revivals, it wasn't the religious press that was reporting them. It was the secular press. And again, it's encouraging today that the secular press are beginning to wake up a little bit about what the church is doing in the community. Now, that's, that's, that, I find that an encouraging sign. But it was the secular press. Read, read the 1920s, the Jeffreys brothers, particularly in this part of the country and in Wales. It was the secular press that were reporting the miracles that took place. So, we, here we have... One man is burdened. One man calls for a prayer meeting. And the outcome is that two million, and America was not a large population at that time, but spread to other nations. Very little preaching. Not all revivals are huge. That was millions, but not all revivals are like that. I want to take you to another place now. In 1949 to a place called Lewis, which is one of the Hebridean, one of the, one of the Hebridean islands. A, a much smaller thing happening there. Um, again, it started with two unlikely people. People that most of us would have written off. Two sisters. One named Peggy, the other named Christine. One 84 and blind, the other 82 crippled with arthritis. And again, they got burdened. One thing about burdened people is this. We can be burdened, but we don't dump that burden on others. We bring that burden to God and we encourage others to join us. Okay? So we don't condemn another because they don't feel that burden. But if we, if, if we, if we behave rightly, others will, wow, yeah, you're carrying something. And it begins to rub off. It creates that atmosphere that we were singing about this morning, that when the Spirit comes, that's all of a sudden there's a sense. God, you want to do something, and we're here we are. So these two sisters, Peggy and Christine, <laughs> they began to put a little bit of pressure on their pastor. I can just imagine it. 
I've had a bit of pressure put on me by people at times. I'm sure Alan has. He probably copes with it better than me. He's not as nice as me. <laughs> and they went to their pastor and said, Pastor, I think the leaders of the church should be praying. We need to seek God. People are, are turning to sin. There's a lot of drunkenness. We're away from God. This never used to be the case here. Religion is dead. It's flat. Churches aren't attended anymore. And so, for three nights a week for several months, the leaders began to call on God. At the same time, a number of younger men began to pray in a barn. And they encountered God and, and, and came to a great repentance. And then the sisters said to the pastor, you must invite Duncan Campbell to come to the island and conduct a revival. Now, it's difficult being a pastor sometimes when you've got people like that. And I'm sure he must have said, just hold on a moment. No, pastor, God has spoken. They are difficult people, aren't they, who say things like that. Well, he thought, well, I'll write to Duncan Campbell. Now, Duncan Campbell was a well-known minister revivalist. And so, they wrote to him and he said, I'm oh, sorry, I can't come. I'm on the Isle of Skye. I'm conducting some meetings there. So, no, sorry, I won't be with you. So, the pastor went back and told these sisters that he won't be coming. That he will be coming. Get ready, God said. Well, perhaps it was just coincidence. But those meetings got cancelled on the Isle of Skye. And Duncan Campbell thought, well, I'll go to Lewis. Got on a boat, didn't tell anybody. But when he got there, he found a, a reception committee waiting for him. He got there quite late, he was tired, it's quite a journey. Seas are a little rough. They said, the, the chapel is prepared, we're, we're ready for the revival. <laughs> he said, I need to go to bed, <laughs> I'm tired. He said, no, 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 the people are ready and... They went to the chapel and they, I suppose they went through the motions a little bit. And then as they were leaving the chapel, one of the deacons started remonstrating with God. You said, when Campbell came, we'd have the revival, where is it? And, and, and Campbell says, you stand away from someone who's like that, just in case. And all heaven was let loose. And this is how he describes it. He said this, he said, this is, they moved out of the realm of the common and the natural into the severe, into the sphere of the supernatural and that is revival. And people began to come from their homes to that chapel. And as they got near, they began to come under the conviction of God, repented. There were men fishing miles out at sea. And the Spirit of God came on them. And they came. I w when I was baptised in a Pentecostal church, as I'd been saved and was part of an Anglican set-up, so they didn't baptise by immersion. When I got baptised, Sue and I, we must have been in our very early 20s, there was a young woman who was being baptised with us, very quiet. But there was something about her. 
And um, um, didn't know what it was. But I say very quiet, really. So it didn't say very much. I hardly spoke a, a word of testimony. There was just something. And afterwards, the, uh, George Forrester, who was a well-known Pentecostal minister, had been a Church of England pastor in Beckenham, Kent, originally, and had seen a move of God in his church. That's why he was now at Assemblies of God. And he said afterwards, she was saved in the great Lewis revival. He said, when you meet people, he said, there's something about them. God touches them in a special, in a special way. A community saturated by God. And I believe today God is stirring us again. How many of you, I know John will agree, John and Chris, how many of you feel that? Okay. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange thing. So is our revivals, our revivals, just a sovereign work of God or, or can we make revivals happen in America? They talk, we're going to have a revival. Billy Graham was very much a revivalist in the Finney sort of thing, mould. What I think is this, I think it's a bit of everything in it because God speaks to the prophets. God stirs the people and God seems to be stirring us again and to hear what he's saying to the church. It seems that the, the message is we're to prepare ourselves. So these two historical accounts I've given very briefly can only encourage us to seek God for ourselves. Let me just, just, just say a few things. I'm, this is going to be short this morning because I, want us to, I really want us to pray. This will surprise you, Alan. I just want to talk about prayer because... You know, we, we, we've lived through some moods of God, which, in my opinion, what's come out of it is some strange stuff that I don't necessarily find being particularly helpful or biblical. When we pray, we don't need to persuade God. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes in, in these Bibles, you get these very overzealous people who feel somehow if they shout loud, if they rant, they rave, and they stamp their feet, and they make a noise and everything, that somehow that is going to be, that is going to persuade God to do something. In my opinion, all that does is put me off. Do, do you agree with that? Unless you're a ranter here. Um, and there were, there were some people called ranters, by the way. Um, but that's not what prayer is. This is what I think is prayer. Prayer is agreeing with God. Prayer is asking him to do what, he's, what, he has, what is his desire, which is already revealed in his word. It's agreeing with God. It's coming to him. And, and when you think about it, so, so when we pray, we don't say, Lord, will you bring revival? Although that, that's legitimate. But we're really saying, Lord, all those promises you've made in your word, things like God wills that all men and women will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that no one will perish. We bring to God his truth back to him because he loves it when his children say, we want to do your will. It's not our will, it's your will. We want your will. It's agreeing with God. And we don't need to twist his arm or persuade him. 
Because Jesus went freely to the cross. Gave himself up freely for our salvation. We don't need to twist his arm. We don't need to rant. But we will get enthusiastic, yes. We will get emotional, yes. Perhaps not all of us, we're not all the same. But it is. So the word is important. Prayer and the word. So, so as, we, as we engage with the word and we see the promises of God, as we come to pray, we bring those promises back to God. And he loves it because it, his word is not for him, it's for us, by the way. He doesn't need a word. He is the word. <laughs> and, and what he's revealed to us, there's far more to be revealed yet in eternity. But this is enough for us now. So we come to God. So, we, so with, our, with our Bibles in front of us, we pray these deep prayers. Well, you go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, 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 was a man who brought revival to Israel. How did he do that? First, he saw what God's will was, and then he prayed, and then he repented on the, on the part of the people of God. Then he acted. Then he said, right, and he stuck his neck out and, 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 and said to... You know, <laughs> You know, the, the, the king, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to go back. I want to I help my people. And God used him. But there was, the, he, he understood that he needed to bring to God what God had already said. Because God had already spoken through Jeremiah and others that he would restore. So we don't need to, we don't need to be making things up. We just go to God's word and we bring it to him. That's why it's important. And it's not, it's faith, not fanaticism that we need. It, can I just say this as well? I want to be careful here. And I'll try and explain myself. It's not how long we pray for that matters. It's who we pray to that matters. It has to do with its sincerity. Now, one of the great things about this is that when we engage with God and God engages with us and we sense his spirit, time actually doesn't matter. Okay, are you with me? It doesn't matter. But sometimes people think, well, if we pray all night, God will be impressed with that and, that, and then he must do something. I don't believe that at all. I believe what God is impressed with is when we just come as children and say, Father, we're here. You, you're the one who said, when we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to pray. And, 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 you know, in some other movements, particularly what's happening in the States, particularly with, you know, the healing movement there, that, that's been very much their cry, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let's see a demonstration of your kingdom now in the present. And that accompanied by faith. And, okay, some things are controversial, but things are happening. So, so it's, 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 it's not how long we pray, it's the sincerity of our prayer. It's responding to the promptings of God, the whisperings of God. And so this week as you come, you're not coming to pray and fast and twist God's arm. You're coming to seek his face and enjoy his presence opening the word, reminding him. And you will hear heaven saying, Amen. Amen. This is just so important. I just want to just um, 
share a little bit of testimony in finishing. Um, in 1992, um, I was at um, Stony Bible Week and, and ministering there. And then I was going off to Mexico straight afterwards. Terry Virgo was coming with me. We had 15 sessions to do in five days between us. And then Wendy pointed out that Terry had not booked a holiday and would I release him? Which was not a blessing to me. 15 sessions in three days. I remember what I preached on. It was a long time ago. But you remember some things. And then, just before I went, my wife Sue said, uh, we do need to talk. Now, when your wife says that to you, you know you're in trouble. Is that right? You are in trouble. And so I said, darling, can I go to Mexico with a good conscience, please? <laughs> can we leave it till I get back? So she said, okay, fine. So I went, did my 15 sessions and came back. And then when I plucked up courage after I'd been home for a little while, I said, there was something you wanted to talk about. Oh, she said, no, it doesn't matter now because I've been to see Roger By about it and he's going to talk to you. Because there were three men, there were three men who were very close to me, good friends, and we were uh, colleagues in the Lord together, but very close friends. They, I knew they were for me. They had my best at heart. So I said to Sue, ever you have any complaint, I'm not hearing you, you go and talk to them. And so she went to speak to two of them. The first one heard her but said, oh, I don't do that very well either, so I'm not the one. But Roger said, basically, this is what Sue's saying. And this may be a word of knowledge across the board here and a key to, to unlocking some things on prayer. Basically, Roger said, you, you left the legal profession years ago. You had a very good salary and you had a very nice standard of living and everything. And one of the things you were concerned about when you left the law was that your wife and family would, um, would suffer because of that. And, and Sue said, you've been brilliant. You know, you've not, we've not suffered. You've always provided, you know, and, and God's been good. You've always had faith to, to produce those material things. But she said, I am dry spiritually. I'm nearly at the end and all I see is my husband ministering to others who are getting blessed and I feel so out of it and I'm desperate. And I said, Roger, I, I find it harder ministering to, to my wife and my family than I do others. I think that's often the case. I said, what do I do? He said, well, when you took us all to Mexico, and I would take 14, 15 senior leaders to Mexico, I did it for 27 years. He said, what he used to say to us of a morning was, let's just get together, let's open the word, let's read something, and then let's pray, and let's just have a bit of time before God. I said, he said, why don't you do that with Sue? I said, what well, you mean disciple? He said, I'd be a little more subtle than that. <laughs> so I went home, and Sue and I talked. I said, well, why don't we do that? He said, I'd love that. So, we, we started in 1992, meeting with Tom Wright. So, we meet with Tom. Tom Wright, this little Everyman series, brilliant. We've been doing that since 1992. She reads, I pray, and as long as we pray together. That was 1992. 1995, 94 of course, Toronto. 95, I got invited to speak at Toronto at a leaders' conference. Sue obviously came with me. 
And the Spirit of God hit her and it changed her dramatically. But you know what? I had a revelation. I believe it was from the Lord. and I think it went something like this. That would not have happened had you not responded to that need. You prepared the ground. In fact, before, we, before we, we, I came on Friday, on Thursday, I got, blood, I got um, food poisoning. I was in bed for 18 hours and I was desperate. And I didn't think I was going to be coming, but I, I, wasn't, I said to Sue, don't phone Alan just yet. We'll leave it, see, what, see how I'm going to be doing. And uh, about four in the afternoon, she came in and she said, I'm going to pray for you, this is silly. And I knew when she prayed, it was a prayer of faith. And I knew I didn't need to do anything. It wasn't my faith. It was a prayer. Because sometimes I say to Sue, should we pray with stone? She said, no, I'm not going to pray. <laughs> because it wouldn't be a prayer of faith. But I knew. And so in the morning, she was going to drive me because she didn't want me to drive, but she wasn't going to come because we just got back from France. But <laughs> in the morning, she was like death warmed up because she'd been ministering to me all day and night. Um, but in the morning, I'm up. I'm here. But it was the prayer of faith. A lot of that had to do with Toronto, but the preparation came from me responding to my responsibility to her as my wife. Folks, the the preparation that God is calling us to is to respond to our responsibility to God, to engage with him and bring those promises back to him and, and call out to him that he will visit us yet again and do what he will do. And whether it's a big thing or whether it's a local thing or whatever it is, but if it's the work of God, that is good enough. That is good enough for, for us. And we've been reading through Tom Wright. The interesting thing is now, sometimes I get phoned early in the morning. Oh, is Sue with you? I said, no, she's in bed with Reinhardt Bonke at the moment and, and two cups of tea. Because now she's in the bonky as well. And, it's, it's, and, and we just love to be together praying now. And it was the hardest thing in the world for me. But you see, God can do it. Now that may be a word of knowledge. Wives, don't go and put a, keep a load of condemnation on your husband when you get home, please. Because it doesn't, it doesn't work. But if it's a word of knowledge, it's something to talk through and something to give, to give some thought to. But what I feel is this. When we engage with God in our own personal, devotional lives, or as husbands and wives, or whatever as both, when we bring that together corporately, there's a much, there's a, there's a much more fervent gathering than there would be if we were coming cold. Are you with me? I often used to say to the church at Biggin Hill that I led, I was there for 37 years, and I'd say, We are only as good this morning as the sum total of our devotional lives with God. Because we're charismatic, we've been put on a good show. But a good show does not get the job done. It's this fervency of prayer. So, when I used to call a prayer meeting at Biggin Hill midweek, this is what I used to say. I'd say, folks, we're going to pray from 8 till 9. At nine, I'm bringing down the curtain. And don't tell me the Holy Spirit wants us to continue because I'm in charge on this one, not him. Because he's delegated that to me. So you're going to go home and you're going to have time with your wife before you go to bed because most of them would commute to London. 
But at the end of the evening, I would say this, thank you so much for coming tonight. Let me tell you this, we have changed the destiny of nations tonight. That's what this is all about. And particularly, this, at this crucial time, there's going to be a vote in Parliament. We don't, know, we don't know how things are going to pan out. But what we do know, we've got a God this week that as you pray and fast, we can bring this nation to God. Because, because <laughs> the hope of our nation is not with Parliament. The hope of our nation is Jesus and his church. That's the hope. That's the hope. And the issue is not politics, whether we're pro-Brexit or anti-Brexit. That is not the issue. The issue is. And I wonder why it is that although we're exalted to pray for kings and those in authority over us, rarely do we do it. Because we have no faith for them. Well, neither do I, but I do have faith in God. So when people say to me, do you have faith for this or that? I say, no, but I do have faith in a God who can change things. And so, when you come this week, so I'm going to call you for, I'm going to call you to a response. Because I've had to switch horses. I've had to do a lot of preparation. I've had to eat three meals yesterday. And I'm not very good eating three meals. So I'm going home a little bit more than I came. So that means some work this week, Alan. Um, but I'm going to call you. I'm going to challenge you. And say this. We're not here to be hearers of the word. We're here to be responders. We're here to be doers. And it seems to me that this week is a great week to begin. When I was a younger man, I used to play good level of tennis and squash, particularly, and squash. Every now and then I used to make a comeback because I'd not play squash for it. So what I'd do is I'd phone someone who I knew I could thrash at squash. And I would thrash them. I feel really good about it. And then I worked my way up through the ladder and, and I was one of the better squash players in that club. So. But the reason, why I, well, the reason why I started with a success, because success makes you feel good. As you begin and say, right, I'm going to pray. Okay. Someone said to Spurgeon once, Mr. Spurgeon, how much do you pray? He said, oh, without ceasing. He said, but never for more than two minutes at a time. So we bite off what we can chew. But as we bite off these spiritual things, what it creates in us is a hunger for more. And then it increases. And that's what's happened with Sue and I. And I want to encourage you this week, do that. Okay, don't get condemned. Don't, get, don't feel bad about it. But bite off what you can chew and you will find that that will increase. And when, are you having meetings this week, Alan, in the evenings or anything like that? So it's, yeah, or maybe just get together with a few others and, you know, bite off together something that, you know, you can chew. But I want to call you to, to a response this week. Um, don't just be hearers. Let's be doers. Let's say this is a word from God and let's respond to it and let's see what God does. Let's see what God does. Who knows what he may do? Amen? You don't believe that, but I, I, I haven't finished yet. Because I, I, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Let's pray for our nation. We're, for those. Let's pray for this whole Brexit thing. Mrs. May. I mean, 
why did she get the job of even doing this when she, her heart wasn't in it at the beginning? Goodness knows. Politicians are so cockeyed, aren't they? But let's pray for our nation. Can we stand? And, and, and I'm not going to do the praying. Let's, John, will you come up here with me? Because you're a good... And, uh, oh, and you've got some... Right, John, you lead us in this now. I've done my bit.